1: I'm Stacey Marie Ishmel, managing editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. And this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. It's Thursday, June 23rd. The Washington Nationals baseball team haven't had a great start to their season, and that's not just because of their losing record. They also managed to debut a sponsorship deal with the organization behind a not-so-stable stablecoin. The name of that organization? Terraform Labs, now splashed all over billboards, uniforms, seats, anywhere you might look. It might have seemed like a good play when they signed the contract, but by the time that stablecoin crashed and burned in early May, it started to look more like a strikeout. The Nats aren't the only sports team to have accepted crypto sponsorship, even if they're one in the spotlight. Today, Bloomberg senior editor Mike Regan joins the conversation to sort through how this deal happened. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Stacey. Are you a baseball fan?
2: I am not so much this uh, season since my Phillies are, are kind of struggling, but uh, <laughs> I'll be on the bandwagon if they if they turn it around for sure.
1: Do they have any crypto sponsorships? You know, I'm not sure. I don't think they do, though. But why do so many other teams, both in baseball, which we want to talk about the Nationals specifically, but kind of elsewhere in sports, like why is crypto in sports such a thing right now?
2: Well, I think obviously these crypto firms have a lot of money to spend on marketing. So I think they're looking for ways to say, okay, how can we reach this big captivated audience. Mm -hmm. And when you think about buying the naming rights for a stadium uh, or, say, an arena, you know, one night you get a basketball audience, the next night you get a hockey audience, the next night it might be a country music concert or a rap concert. Mm-hmm. And, you know, instead of being at home uh, on the TV where you might uh, watch watching TV and be distracted by doom scrolling through your Twitter or, you know, falling asleep, changing the channels, you're kind of a captive audience. So it, it really like it gets the eyeballs on your logo and on your product for, like I said, a pretty broad demographic of potential customers, at least in that one city. And then the hope is obviously your team makes it to the playoffs and suddenly your arena is on the national stage.
1: Right. So in theory, it's pretty good bang for buck as, a, as far as marketing ROI might go.
2: You know, if you've got that kind of marketing budget with these firms, clearly do. I mean, a lot of people saw it and immediately uh, older people uh, like myself <laughs> <laughs> immediately thought back to the dot com days, you know, where all of a sudden dot coms were sponsoring getting the naming rights for stadiums. And we all know how that ended and, poorly and, and Enron Stadium in Houston. So mm-hmm. I think it raised some eyebrows when a lot of these naming rights were sold.
1: Well, here's an example of something that's going poorly, right? So the the Washington Nationals, which as a non-baseball fan, I had to research, um, but but the way that I found out about them is because I was like, okay, what's happening with Terra? Let's see. And then it's like, by the way, they have signed this deal with Terraform Labs, which is the organization co-founded by Do Kwon that issued an algorithmic stablecoin that has been pretty much dominating news headlines for the past, I don't know, a month at this point. Why would they have done that? What What is the upside? And, and now, obviously, like, there's all of this reputational risk.
2: Well, why would the Nationals get involved? I think because Doquan wrote them a big check for mm-hmm. about $40 million. How much was the check? Uh, it was like $38, 39000000 something like that. But I think... What's fascinating is why Do Quan chose the Nationals, right? Mm-hmm. And this sponsorship uh, included a few things. You know, the, the Nationals are tweeting out uh, crypto videos uh, sponsored by uh, Terra, that sort of thing. But also he sponsored the VIP club right behind home plate called the Terra Club. And I now know, called the Terra Club. Right. Still called the Terra Club. I don't know if... It's sort of the general population understands these VIP clubs at stadiums. They're they're very swank. It's not your, you know, hot dogs and Budweisers. <laughs> it's, you know, top shelf liquor, free buffet. And I was at the Brooklyn Nets VIP club once and, you know, your head's kind of on a swivel like, well, who's that? You know, is that a VIP mm-hmm. over there, over there? So think about that in D.C. You're going to be looking around thinking, is that a representative? Is that someone from the Treasury? You know, it's, it's sort of the, the clubhouse for the movers and shakers in D.C. And Doquan and Terraform have had some problems with, with the SEC. I'll uh, give you a warning. I'm going to do a little self-promoting here. But I, <laughs> I wrote a story about a year ago about the synthetic equities trade trading on terraform's blockchain and the fascinating you know that they can basically make a cryptocurrency token that tracks the value of, of like an apple share of apple mm-hmm. tesla etfs really innovative stuff but also you know kind of Flying in the face of this big stack of regulation around the stock market in the U.S. and elsewhere. So that story kind of questioned, well, how can they get away with this? And I you know, reached out to the SEC for their comment. They didn't comment. A couple of weeks later, though, the chairman, Gary Gensler, gave a speech where he said, basically not naming Terraform, but basically saying this type of stuff violates securities laws. You got you to watch it. Shortly after that, Uniswap stopped allowing them to be traded. Through
1: and the- Uniswap is one of the kind of peer-to-peer exchanges right, that right. is so popular with crypto folks. But I want to go back to what you're saying about this not being Terra's first run-in with a product that various people were like, surely this is not a good idea. Right. What was the basis of The thing that has gotten them in trouble in recent weeks. So it's like, okay, Nat signed a deal, seems fine. One month later, we're talking about why that's not fine. What happened in between?
2: Well, obviously, the uh, the stablecoin uh, USD just, just blew up, you know. The, the So basically, for those who aren't familiar with an algorithmic stablecoin... Which is coin,
1: most of the population. <laughs> right,
2: right, right. <laughs> Bear with me here. I'm getting a little technical. You know, a, a, a typical stablecoin tries to track, say, the dollar. Some track, maybe track the euro or, or some other currency. But the, the big ones track the dollar. Uh, and the way, say, a Tether stablecoin does... That is, they hold assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some treasury bonds, maybe some commercial paper, with sort of you know a reserve to allow that token to always be worth a dollar, mm-hmm. right? An algorithmic stablecoin tries to do it without those reserves. They they try to maintain that stable one dollar price through a relationship with another cryptocurrency that is, let's say, not so stable, mm-hmm. and that is Luna. And through an arbitrage mechanism, that's probably too complicated to get into. In this, you know, <laughs> the relationship between Luna and UST, the stablecoin, is is always meant to to keep that stablecoin Paired to that dollar, paired exactly to a dollar.
1: But it did not, right? And that's that's why we're here. And so. You you know, one of the things I was really interested in understanding is if I'm a sports team one of my first questions would be if I were that sports team's lawyers like did we get this money up front
2: <laughs> in <laughs> fact and they did and the nationals <laughs> did I think you know and that'll set a precedent I'm sure right. you know, everyone's going to cash that check before renaming the name of their clubhouse after them I think it's important to focus in on why he did focus on Washington. You know, he wanted to be in front of the regulators, in front of the politicians. He wanted to give them a good impression. You know, this was a multi-year deal. Mm-hmm. His ambition was really to make that stablecoin be useful in real life. He, he, the goal was that eventually the nationals would be selling tickets in exchange for the UST stablecoin.
1: So a person who was, say, a Nazi's ticket holder could buy that ticket using their stable coin
2: right that was the goal that's kind of been blown up I don't think it's been officially announced that that's plan is on But one can to, extrapolate right yeah with with the price of you know UST and the pennies at, at any given moment as I pointed out unless the Nationals really start playing as, as badly as they started the season then, uh, <laughs> then may, maybe but but otherwise that plan is unlikely but it's sort of gives you some perspective on Doquan's ambitions. You know, obviously, there's a lot of scammers in crypto. There's a lot of, quote-unquote, rug pull. But this guy, you know... I think of it, you remember the book, When Genius Failed, of about uh, long-term capital management. Yep. I, I feel like this is an instance of not a scam, of, of not fraud, but of when that genius innovation failed, because he, he was trying to get in front of the regulators and say, look, we're a, we're a like good actor
1: Like literally here. in front of the regulators <laughs> right, right. <laughs> on and, uniforms.
2: And partly because he ended up being subpoenaed about those synthetic equities last year, and he's been sort of fighting the SEC over this. So I think he wanted to put a, a, a good face in front of the regulators and say, look, with you know, we're adults here. This is a mature or hopefully soon to be mature business. We're trying to do something real here. Mm -hmm. The collapse of the the stablecoin so soon on the heels of this this sponsorship is just eye-popping because, you know, he, he really was trying to move this industry forward a little bit. Thank you,
1: Mike. We'll be right back.
2: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
0: Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon, official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get twenty percent off using promo code Radio Twenty at Bloomberg Live.com slash green festival. Well,
1: it's interesting that you raise the analogy of long-term capital management, and because they were, you know, supposed to be the original smartest guys in the room. Right. That they they really knew what they were doing, and they utterly mispriced risk. Right. Right. <laughs> Got all of the correlations wrong in, in you know, and and in that particular case, like utterly misread the macroeconomic environment and where risks were embedded. And frankly, that's very similar to what happened over the past few weeks, where you've had this unexpected inflationary environment, the Fed's response to that inflationary environment, various other concerns about macroeconomic indicators, resurgence of the pandemic, like things that generally make people a little bit shaky and less prone to buy into risk assets.
2: Right. 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 And I think that played into it completely. You know, at one point, Doquan pivoted from, and Terraform Labs, obviously it's a DAO, so they they vote on everything.
1: A DAO or DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization, which is like crypto's version of trying to make a company or an LLC.
2: Right, right. A co-op kind of, uh, basically, where everyone gets to vote. uh, And anyone who's holding the token gets to vote on the governance and and what happens. So, uh, you know, Doquan and Terraform Labs were trying to, to sort of pivot away from the algorithmics stablecoin model because, you know, it, the project got so big and the risks became greater and greater that they, uh, you know, clearly got worried that something could go wrong. So they started buying Bitcoin, you know, and the plan was to buy up to $10 billion in Bitcoin to help back uh, UST, the stablecoin.
1: So then you would have kind of a hybrid algo traditional. Where right. There's both in, you know, the model of other stablecoins, there's some kinds of assets backing it, but they would also maintain that peg using Luna. That's
2: right. I described earlier. Right. And, you know, make no mistake, this is a bit of improv on their part right <laughs> here, you know? I mean, this wasn't how they, what they set out to do. Uh, y- you know, uh, the Terra was named after a uh, video game called StarCraft, and the humans in that game, there it's there's a bunch of aliens, you know, space battle video game. The humans are known for adapting on the fly very quickly uh, to, to any situation, and, and clearly that's what he was doing in this situation. Um, but of course then, Bitcoin starts Crashing with every other risky asset in the world, so that sort of undermines, um, you know, the, the notion of using Bitcoin as a reserve to, to back up the stablecoin.
1: Everything just became increasingly expensive at the same time.
2: Right, right, and um, you know there was there was sort of a run on the bank of liquidity uh, in in certain pools that trade stablecoins, and that happened over a weekend and just helped to to really just pull the bottom card out of what, what turned out to be a house of cards with this stablecoin.
1: So, I'm a lawyer for a sports team. <laughs> <laughs> my GM or somebody in marketing comes to me and says, hey, should we do a deal with this crypto company that's going to pay us 30-something million dollars up front? What would you tell them?
2: Uh, no, well, first, I'd consult my own lawyer. <laughs> But uh, I, like you said, get the get catch the check up front. Uh, and, uh, and only accept ra- fiat. R- right into the, into the contract that you can you know if this thing blows up, you can erase the logo off of the the arena at any time. maybe.
1: Do you think there's a reputational risk there? I mean, I think part of what I'm struggling with is most people in the world don't know who these crypto companies are. Right, right? just like as a broad proportion of billions, lots of people do, surely. I'm not saying that there isn't anybody out there who's never heard of a Coinbase or an FTX, but if things go peer-shaped, the people who like really care are like media Twitter, <laughs> crypto Twitter, anybody who's lost money, yeah. certainly, and that sort of fintech ecosystem. But if you have a situation like Terra where the goal was to introduce this company to people, You know, is there really a net negative for the team? It's mostly that people are just like, I don't know what that company does, shruggy.
2: Yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it was much of a net negative for the Nationals at this point. Certainly, if you lost money in Terra, you're you furious. Know, you're, you're furious if you're a Nationals fan. I don't know. Sports sports fandom kind of trumps everything, so <laughs> you know you, you'll you'll be willing to look past it and and maybe still follow the team. I don't know. It would be tough for my team, like the Seventy ers to do anything in the sponsorship realm enough to to turn me off a, against watching them. But I think it's something they're going to think long and hard about going forward after after this situation for sure.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And do you still think on this basis that things like naming rights, which aren't cheap, make sort of economic sense from that marketing ROI perspective, given that a lot of the wealth of these crypto companies is in crypto? And as those prices go down, it becomes more expensive for them to, you know, convert it into the dollars that they need to pay for these sponsorships.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I Doubt highly that any big checks like that will be written, say, for the rest of the year, given mm-hmm. given the, the the slump in crypto that we've seen. But one interesting thing was CoinDesk sent some reporters out to the National Stadium. I, I wish I had thought of this, Stacy. <laughs> you, you would have loved to see my expense account after this trip.
1: Mike <laughs> <laughs> you know, is like I have got to go but on I've a baseball reporting trip. <laughs>
2: yeah, and not any tri- you know the VIP club at, at National Stadiums, and and they did that and and they talked to people. No one really knew what Terra was. None of the fans. Yeah, you know, and they even asked a bartender in the club, the Terra Club, named after this coin, like, "Hey, did you hear about what happened with this thing?" And 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 the bartender was like, "It's some kind of Bitcoin, right?" <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, so, I love that some kind of Bitcoin, <laughs>
2: kind of, which is not wrong. You know, it's it's uh, in the big scheme of things, I guess, is right. But it, you know, it, it was very early days in the in the sponsorship, um, so it's hard to say, you know, whether. Uh, the Terra got its money's worth out of the exposure. Um, But I would say probably, you know, the regulators and and some of the lawmakers congregating in that VIP club are quite familiar with it now, let's say. So they'll be reminded every time they go back.
1: Every time. Well, thank you. Um, I learned about baseball today, which (laughs) doesn't happen to me often. And I think just as a final question, do you think in terms of those regulators, one of the things that has come up and, you know, we're going to talk a lot about on this podcast is consumer protection. And one of the things you rightly identified with the sponsorship is they're trying to get in front of not just the movers and shakers, but the country music fans. Right. Like anybody who is in that stadium at any time. And various other types of advertising, asset classes, you don't get to just say, buy my stuff with no fine print. Like Big Pharma (laughs) can't be splashing logos anywhere or, you know, saying on TV, buy these drugs without somebody speaking really fast with a list of things (laughs) that will kill you. There isn't really that approach in crypto. Do you think situations like this may, you know, Accelerate that conversation about the appropriateness of this sort of marketing.
2: I think it will absolutely. I mean, we've already heard Janet Yellen, you know, talking about stablecoins. The the Treasury and the Fed were already looking into them pretty closely, viewing them as sort of if a coin is meant to track the dollar one to one, you're kind of sort of elbowing into the the Federal Reserve and the Treasury's turf there, and and, and that's where you know that's going to be a magnet for them, especially to to really keep an eye on. So I do think you know what was it 60, 70 billion in value. Just just vaporized yeah. in this situation. I think it's going to be a, a big catalyst, I would guess, for bringing forward some of these crypto regulations that you know have been bounced around and talked about for years, but, but not really put into practice.
1: Well, we'll keep an eye on
2: it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Stacy.
1: You can find more of Mike Regan's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, on Bloomberg.com, and on Twitter. He's at Reganonymous. On the next episode. Bloomberg reporter Alistair Marsh shares his reporting on how Ukraine has been using crypto during the war to support its armies and its population. Ukraine is even selling its own non-fungible token, and it's a timeline of the Russian invasion. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, and this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Email your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. You'll find us on Twitter at Crypto. The supervising producer of this episode is Vicky Vergolina. Associate producer is Ty Butler. Associate producer is Zanab Siddiqui. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Bloomberg's head of podcasts is Francesca Levy.